0: I don't know about you, but I love summer. I don't love the heat that has welcomed itself into our world in the last week or so, but I love summer because when I think of summer, I think of opportunities with my family to make memories. I think of vacations and trips that we take. I don't know about you, my my family, my mom and dad were, were teachers. We lived on a ranch, but they taught school. And so during the summer, uh, we would take two or three weeks and we would go on vacation. And so we would head out of central Texas and we would... Go northwest into New Mexico, and we would hit state parks and national parks. It was a, it was an amazing adventure, summer to summer, where we would go. We'd go to White Sands and Petrified Forest. We went to Meteor Crater. This is before cell phones and iPads. Where you got to get outside to do fun things. And then we would we were Southern Baptists, and so we would go to Glorieta Glorietta Camp um, up near Santa Fe. So if you know, you know, right? Glorieta was the place that all Southern Baptists went for the summer. And we'd spend about a week in Glorieta at camp, and then we would. Have north. My grandmother, um, later in life, she had a home in Montrose, Colorado to get out of the heat and so we would track north into Colorado and we'd spend about a week in Montrose. and then after that we would head due west on the million dollar highway um, and head out to Silverton and Durango and then we'd head into Utah. I don't know if you've ever been to Utah, but um, Bryce Canyon. Zion, and we'd camp in these places, and great memories as a family. I'm not sure what my parents were thinking—three boys, young boys, doing all that—and then we would come down to Arizona to my aunt's house in the dead of heat and go to the Grand Canyon. I remember going to the Grand Canyon. My my dad remembers telling me that I went to the Grand Canyon and I couldn't wait to go to the pool because I thought it had a diving board that night. But that's a different story for a different day. And one trip, we, we did that track, and then we came back through New Mexico and we went to Carlsbad Caverns. I don't know if you've ever been to caverns before, but um, Lon- uh, Longhorn Cavern and Natural Briggs Caverns got nothing on Carlsbad Caverns, okay? So I was like seven or eight years old, and we go to Carlsbad Caverns, and we go in, and it's me, my two brothers, my mom, and my dad, but the, the ranger, the park ranger, would take about 30 people with him. So we're this big group going down into this massive cave further and further and further, and it got darker and darker and colder and colder, and we were at the, the furthest point that we were going to go, and the ranger was talking to us about stalagmites and stalactites, which I had no idea. My dad's a scientist, so he loved that opportunity, and And the bats and all the different things. And all of a sudden, and we were on this kind of wide drawbridge. And it moved a little bit. And so I was already a bit nervous down in this journey to the center of the earth, right? And so I'm holding on. He's like, everybody hold on just for a minute. And he took the one lamp in the place. This is pre-cell phones. And he turned it off. He turned it off. And people were either screaming or they were dead silent. I remember that as an eight-year-old. I had counseling later. No, I didn't. But darkness, utter darkness. You ever been there where you can't see your hand in front of your face? We were in a cave, and it was dark, and I was on this drawbridge, and all I wanted that guy to do was stop talking about the bats and all the different things and turn the dadgum light back on. I felt captive. I felt captive by the darkness, spiritually speaking, apart from Christ. Darkness captivates us. The Bible says that we are in darkness. Apart from Christ, there is no light. It's captivity to the darkness. The scriptures even go as far to say we were darkness. Not just that we were in darkness before Christ, but we were darkness before Christ. That were held captive by the darkness. Do you remember a time before you knew Jesus where that was a palatable feeling? That you were held captive by the dark. See, Jesus turns the light switch on for us. Jesus brings life to your darkness, to my darkness. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who or what illumines your life in this dark world? What kind of light are you using to illumine the dark world that we live in? Are you pursuing His illumined path for you? What darkness what darkness keeps you from the light? Turn with me to John chapter 8. It's page 894 in the Bible in front of you. And there's good news here. There's good news about the light of the world. Because left to ourselves, we are in darkness. We are darkness, and yet Jesus is going to again tell us more about who he is. Last week we started a series, an I Am series. There are seven I Am's in the book of John. And the first one was Jesus saying to the people that I am the bread of life, that I am nourishment. I am what you need. And today we're going to see Jesus saying something else. When Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, There were people that had mixed responses to that message that Jesus is the bread of life. And what we're going to find in this passage as well, there are mixed responses to Jesus declaring that he is the light of the world. John 8. We're going to be in verses 12 through 20. And we're really going to hone in on verse 12 where Jesus says these amazing words. We're going to find a central truth here about Jesus, what he calls us to do, and then two promises, that beautiful promises that come out of it. So let me read it. Matthew 8, excuse me, John 8, verses 12 through 20. Jesus says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them. He's in the temple, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. "'Jesus answered, "'Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. "'For I know where I came from and where I'm going, "'but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. "'You judge, underline this, you judge according to human standards or the flesh. "'I judge no one. "'Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. "'For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. "'In your law it's written that the testimony of two people is true.' I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They they said this to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you don't know neither me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because the hour had not yet come. It seems a little odd to me as I just read this on a surface level that Jesus is in the temple and he's in the treasury of the temple and the court of women and he's just bust out with, I'm the light of the world. It's an odd kind of thing. Remember with the bread of life, he had just fed the 5000, right? And you think that's a natural place for him to talk about being the bread of life and the living and the one who gives through the spirit of God the living water. But this seems odd just on surface. On the surface, it seems very odd that he would say this in the middle of the temple. But the beauty is the background. The beauty is in the background, and I want to share with you kind of the picture of why he says this right here. You see, They were in the midst or just finished the Feast of Booze. You know how Israel had these festivals and feasts and where they would remember what God had done in the past and they would celebrate his faithfulness and his goodness and his greatness? Well, the Passover had just finished. Remember last week with the Bread of Life? The Passover had just finished. And the Passover celebrates the fact that the plagues of Egypt, that God provided a sacrifice on the doorpost and it freed the slaves from Egypt. And so we remember the Passover lamb pointing toward Jesus as well, but the Passover lamb, and so they celebrated Passover. But the last feast, the last festival of the year came right after the Passover. And it was the Feast of Booze, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And what it does, it kind of chronologically goes into the next piece of when they left Egypt. From the point they left Egypt forward in the wilderness, they were celebrating specific things that God had done there. Why don't you think think for a minute, if you know Exodus, in about chapters 16 through 18, I want you to think about that time. When they left, what did they need? They needed food. So what did God do? He provided manna from heaven. In the midst of this ceremony, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In the midst of the feast of booze. And then he says, I bring living water. What happened in the wilderness? Not only were they hungry, they needed something to drink. And the rock was struck, and water came out of the rock. The living water came out of the rock. It's not coincidental that Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. It's not coincidental that he's saying, I bring living water in the midst of a feast that celebrates these things. But it gets better. We come to this passage, and this text tells us he's in the treasury of the temple a day after the feast of booze had finished. I want you to just picture this for you in your mind's eye for a minute. One of the things that the priests did at the end of the all, all the way through the feast of booths where these people from all over Israel would come. They would come and they would tabernacle. They would dwell in tents and they would come to the temple each day to worship. And at night, right before night, the young priest would take a torch. And there were four candelabras at the treasury, right in front of the treasury, huge candelabras with a lot of oil in them and the young priest would crawl up And they would light all the different lights on each of the candelabras. You can Google it. You can see how big this light show was. And the purpose of the light show was to remember the pillar of fire by night. That the people of God could pursue and follow the light through the wilderness. And so they're remembering that. And it's in that place, and that moment, after the lights had been turned off, the Feast of Booze is over... And the next day, Jesus comes and stands in the very place where the light was, and he says, I am the light of the world. I often make fun of preachers who use object lessons, but I can't do it. Jesus did it here. He used the best object lesson to show who he was. It would have been unmistakable from the people that were standing there what he's claiming he is, that he is not only the bread of life, manna from heaven, that he not only is the living water, but he is the light of the world. He illumines truth and reality, and he paves the way. And not only that, you see in the Old Testament, when when you see a picture in Isaiah of the Messiah, and who the Messiah would be. In Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah 42 verse 6 says this, I think we have it here, about the Messiah to come. This is a claim. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light... For the nations, light of the world, light of the nations, to do what? To open the eyes of the blind. That's not just physically blind, that's spiritually blind. And I will also bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, who sit in the darkness. That's the spiritual condition that you and I are in, apart from Christ. And so the people who knew the Torah, who knew the Old Testament, and Jesus in front of the temple in this spot... With this objectless saying, saying, I am the light of the world, this is a claim to Messiah. You see it also in Isaiah 49, where Isaiah is talking about the chosen Messiah to come. And it says, I will, in verse 6, it says, I will make you as a light, speaking of Messiah, to the nations. That my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You can look at Psalm 27, not only is he claiming to be the Messiah that they've been waiting on, he's also claiming to be God. Psalm 27, David in verse 1 says this, The Lord is my light, my salvation, and my life. So Jesus is making a claim here, and this is your point. Jesus illumines who he really is right here. He illumines who he really is in this passage when he says, I am the light of the world. He's claiming to be Messiah. He's claiming to be God. And what happens when Jesus does this all the way through the Gospels is he gets a mixed review, doesn't he? Some people marvel at him. Some people fall and believe in him and follow him. And other people don't know what to do. They're divided. Is he the Christ? Is he not? He's the guys from from Nazareth. And other people want to arrest him. And other people immediately want to kill him. How do you respond to the light of the world? You see, Jesus didn't come and look around at the spiritual and religious culture of his day and go, how can I get a following? What do I need to teach to get a following? How do I need to tickle people's ears to get a following? He came to tell people who he was. And he did it in clear fashion right here. I am the light of the world. So how do you respond? Where are you at? Do you believe that Jesus is the light of the world? Do you have questions? It's a great place to find answers, to come to church, to engage with other people to find answers. Or do you reject that he is the light of the world? Where are you at? I want you to notice in this text, if you look down, and most of the dialogue of the rest of the text is Pharisees arguing. They're arguing and saying, hey, you can't bear witness of yourself. You're supposed to have two witnesses to something. And Jesus' commentary on their take is that you're judging me by human standards. You're judging me by the flesh. And, you know, I'll I'll tell you, before I knew Jesus, and maybe you were there before you knew Jesus, or maybe you're there now, anytime we try to make apples to apples between a human being and God, you're never going to get there. He's saying, you're judging me by human standards. I'm not, I'm fully human, but I'm fully God. We struggle with this. We try to measure God by our own human standards. That's what they were doing. Isn't this guy from Nazareth? Isn't he the son of Joseph? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. That's what they're doing all the way through the gospel. They're thinking physical while he's talking spiritual. Higher than where they're at. So they're just thinking in the wrong way which is one of their essential problems. It's one of our problems. It's one of our problems as well. When we look at God and go, well, how can he be like this? How can he be like that? Or when trouble comes your way, where you go, how can a good God do this? How can a good God do that? His ways are higher than our ways. We can't judge God. We can't judge Jesus on human standards. Let me ask you a question. If you were in Carlsbad Caverns with me, and you were in the dark and the ranger turned the lights on and he started walking. What would you do? You'd follow. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. I got as close to that guy as I could. As he led us out. See the natural progression of understanding that Jesus is the one who illumines who he really is. That he's claiming to be God. The natural, the natural response ought to be To follow. And this is exactly what the next phrase says. He says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So your second idea is this. See, Jesus not only illumines who he is, but he calls us to follow his illumined path. This idea of following in the scriptures. You see it with the disciples. Jesus calls them to follow him, and they just do. There's a connection here, though, if you, if you go and you study this idea of being a follower of someone, particularly in 1st century, particularly of a rabbi. It's the idea of a soldier following the captain's orders. That he doesn't get involved, as Paul would say, in civilian affairs, but he follows the orders of the captain, the commander. It also has the imagery of a servant or a slave wanting to please their master. Or a wise counselor who's giving advice, and the person listening takes the advice, takes the argument of the wise person to arrive at the same conclusion. This past week, um, we were gone. I took William, my oldest, on a canoeing trip at the Buffalo River. Jordan Beakley led a trip, and there was a number of dads from here that took their sons to this trip. And I got this, like, four-page packing list. I'd never been that long on a canoe with dry bags and trying to figure out how do you go from campsite to campsite to campsite. Last time I was in a canoe was probably about 15 years ago, so I'd need some help trying to figure out how to do the canoe. And figured it out once we got there. But I could have. I could have taken that gear list, that four-page gear list, said, I don't need this. And I would have been completely hosed on this trip. We would have been, I would have brought the wrong kind of bags. I would have known when we got there, Watching Jordan and other guys with their canoes and how they paddled and what they did. We would have been up the creek without a paddle, no pun intended. But the idea of following is to follow the wise counselor. To take the counsel from others. But the other thing about following is this. Following, and you see this with the disciples and Jesus. Because it, it looks like there should be more there when he, says, when he goes to a disciple and he says, Hey, follow me. And they do. And you're like... There's got to be more that happened there, right? See, to follow is to believe. Make no mistake about it. To follow Jesus is to believe in Him, and to believe in Him is to follow Him. I don't know how. I think I know how. But in our world, we we have this in the South and in Texas. I guess Texas isn't the South, but we we have this Christianese thing to say. Well, I believe in Jesus, but I kind of I kind of follow my own life, my own rules. I, I kind of. Make my own decisions about life and direction and where to head. And the idea of following knows none of that. The idea of following is believing. An idea of believing is following. And so we can't say we believe and not follow. It's a complete oxymoron in scripture. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle with the darkness. We still have this flesh that we struggle with and we wage war with, with the light. But if we say we believe, we follow. And if we follow, we believe. This is the implication here. So Jesus calls us to follow his illumined path. Ephesians 5, 8 says it this way. For at one time you were darkness. That's not a typo. For at one time, it it doesn't read in the Greek, you were in darkness. In one time you were darkness. That's that's a literal translation. But now you are darkness. Not in the light, just in the light. You are light in the Lord, but look at it. Walk, right? Walk, follow as children of light and discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So it's not this rote obedience, but you're discerning what is pleasing to Him as you find nourishment in Him. Listen, maybe you've been a believer a while and living in this dark world and every day you have to make decisions about following the light and walking as children of the light. But let's just say you're in Carlsbad Caverns down there again, and every day you go down there and the guy, same guy turns off the light, turns on the light. He'd been doing that for a while, I'm sure, getting a kick out of it. And every day you do that, is there a day you shouldn't follow the light? Well, I got this licked. I know my way back. See, I think as believers who've walked with Jesus for a while, We kind of get this hubris that builds up to say, you know, I I don't really need to follow the light. I I can find my own way. And there's a danger in that. And we lose our way. The beauty is, is that when we lose our way, the Bible says that the word of God, and I'm going to get it right this time because I'm preaching about light. Thy word is a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto my path. And so, Christian, if you're here this morning and you are struggling with darkness, whether it's pornography, whether it's greed, whether it's status, whether it's pride, whether it's anger, and that exposure to the dark is just getting greater, you need to be in God's word. We all need to be in God's word. We need to be exposed to the light. In an ongoing way. So Jesus illumines who he is. He calls us to follow his illumined path. But there's something else that happens when the light comes into the darkness, right? It exposes the darkness. But the question is, why do people stay in the darkness? See, Jesus exposes it and its perilous path. That's your next idea. But, but why do people stay in the darkness? Because the light, if you know, like you're, you're camping out and you're hearing all kinds of things at night that you can't see. The other night we were on the river, the Buffalo River, and it sounded like in the dark that that river was creeping up. And we were about 10 feet from the river and my mind starts wondering, Has the river risen? Are we in trouble? But when the dawn came, I saw the beautiful sight that I saw the day, saw the day before. See, the light drowns out the darkness. The light always wins over darkness. No matter how dark it is, the light wins. And Jesus exposes the darkness in its perilous path. And in the Bible, and I said this a little bit in the beginning, but the darkness in the Scriptures represents evil. It represents what is harmful. It represents spiritual captivity. And yet, the Bible says, left to ourselves, that's what we crave. It's what we crave, and that's where my illustration of Carlsbad Caverns goes south. I didn't, I didn't want to be in the darkness, but the Bible says something pretty grave. It says that we crave the darkness. John 3, 19 says, this is the judgment that light has come into the world. In John 1, he says, light's come into the world, and I, I made all of this, and yet people still love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. You see, left to ourselves, we love the darkness. Our flesh loves the darkness. But Jesus offers us life. And that's a sad reality that apart from Jesus, Jesus really turning the lights on, we love the darkness. But in the darkness, we often cry out, don't we? I know before I knew Jesus, I cried out. I couldn't make sense of what I couldn't see few years after I came to know the Lord, I was listening to this alternative rock band, so I was still listening to junk music, I guess, Um, named Hoopastank. What What a name for a band, Hoopastank. They're kind of the knockoff of Incubus. Maybe you know, maybe you don't know. 2002, so just think, where you were, maybe you weren't even born, 2002. Hoopastank, they had this song, it was like one of their two hits, and you never heard of them after that crawling in the dark and, and the line goes like this I've been crawling in the dark I've been looking for answer, answers and he's crying out to God it looks like in this song and he says assure me that it's okay to use my heart and not my eyes to navigate the darkness you know I often talk a lot about how our hearts are wicked The Bible talks about our hearts are wicked. We can't trust our hearts. We can't trust our feelings. But if you don't have the light of Christ, it's the only thing you have to try to navigate crawling in the dark. You can't see if you don't have the light of Jesus. And that's the place in which this guy is singing from. And that ought maybe to remind you of where you were, or maybe that's where you are right now. Going, I'm trying to make sense of the world around me. I'm trying to gain clarity about where I'm supposed to go and direction. But there's no path. I can't see the path. And so the only thing you have is your feelings and your emotions and your heart to guide you. And yet Jesus says, I'll show you. Look at me. I'm the light of the world. I illumine truth and reality for you. It's the beauty of the gospel that you can see. Spiritually speaking, are we crawling in the dark, looking for answers? You ever been to a movie theater in the summer? I know it's been a while with this COVID deal. Are there any good movies out right now? Not yet? But think about the summer when you go to a movie in the middle of the day. You got this sun beating down, this light beating down. You go into the movie theater, and two and a half hours later, you come out. What's going on with your eyes? You're having a hard time. Because your eyes are trying to adjust back to the light, and I often think prolonged exposure to sin and darkness as believers in Jesus hurt our ability to walk in the light. But that's where we got to go. We got to press through that and press into Christ because He is the light. So, what is it in your life? Maybe you know Jesus here this morning. What is it in your in your life that you've had continual and continual exposure to the dark on. That you need to come out into the light. And confess to God. What's going on. That he might bring light to the subject. Not just to expose you. But to bring healing to that area of your life. Because that's who Jesus is. He is a good, good God. Who loves you and will walk with you. If you look back at the previous text. Before he says, I am the light of the world. It's the woman caught in adultery. And they come and they want to stone her and Jesus writes in the sand. And he says, he who sinned cast the first stone. Nobody did. And then he says, I'm the light of the world. He welcomed her and said, sin no more. But he welcomed her. So God can handle it. As you expose yourself back to the light and confess your sin, he's there. He loves you. He cares for you. Come into the light. So we've seen a Jesus for who he is. We've seen Jesus for who he is. We've seen his call to follow. And the beauty of this call to follow is is that you won't walk in darkness. But here's the positive side of that promise. The positive side is the last little phrase there in verse 12. You will have the light of life. Notice he doesn't say you will be close to or have association with the light of life, but you will have, you will possess it. This is the idea of being in Christ, that you are connected. Not just associated, but connected to Christ, that you will have life. So Jesus' light not only keeps us away from the darkness, but it provides real life. That's your third idea, or fourth idea, however many you are. It's a contrast with the darkness. In the physical world, if you don't have light, you don't have life. And the same is true spiritually. If you don't have the light of Christ, there is no life. John chapter 1. John has like 20 references to the idea that Jesus is the light and it's connected to life. It's always connected to life. Light and life. John chapter 1. Notice that as you're reading through John. John chapter 1, verse 4. 7. I love this. This is the beginning of the book of John where where John is unpacking for us that Jesus is the word. He's the word made flesh and he's dwelt amongst that he's God and man in human form. And then verse 4 he says this in him in Christ was life and the life was the light of men. If you do it fast, it's a tongue twister. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then you see John. John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe in him, through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light. You see, Jesus' light brings real life. Do you remember Saul who was persecuting Christians in the book of Acts? In chapter 9, Jesus shows up. And what does he do? He brings light. He blinds Paul, actually. and He comes to faith in Jesus. He, Jesus shows up in his life. And his life was never the same. You see, life Light brought life to the Apostle Paul. When I think about my own testimony, and maybe you can think about yours as well this morning, see, God turned the lights on when I was crawling in the dark. When I was trying to figure out my way, He turned the lights on. And I began to see the world through His eyes. Real life, reality as it really is. There was no more crawling in the dark. I didn't have to follow after my own folly or my own heart or my own emotions. But what I believed and what I I could live was grounded in the truth. Was grounded in real understanding. Was grounded in his direction which provides direction and vision and clarity for life. There's real change that happens when you bow your knee the light of the world because he brings life but it also does something else in this text you see that the light brings life to your life and to my life but notice what it caused John the Baptist to do it caused them to do something caused them to bear witness about the light if you know somebody's walking in darkness and they don't have the light of Jesus. And you've experienced the light of Jesus and you know the truth of God. And what happens? You can't do anything but bear witness to share about the light of Christ. To let your light shine for Christ is a natural result of coming to know Jesus. So this speaks to mission. The mission in which we're left here for. Jesus didn't just leave us here as the church. To be this holy little huddle to hang out, that's good. And we need each other. We need community. But he's left us here to be lights. To be a city set on a hill to see the light of Christ. That people might see the light of Christ in us. So Jesus illumines who he is here. He calls us to follow him and his illumined path. There's a warning about darkness here. But if you look at the next, the rest of chapter 8, What you're going to see is the Pharisees continue to argue with Jesus. You just continue to argue with Jesus. And you get to chapter 9, or at the end of chapter 8, and they're arguing. Jesus just finally says, I am. Before Abraham, I am. And then they picked up stones and they were throwing at him. And he left the temple. That he is the great I am. That's a claim. And he goes out of the temple. And he's walking. And his disciples see a man born blind. And the disciples want to know. They've got the question, did he sin or did his parents sin? And what is Jesus' response? It's a beautiful response. Neither he or his parents sinned. This is done, that my glory might be displayed. And then Jesus lays his hands on the man, puts mud in his hands, and he heals the blind man. Think back, Isaiah 42. Light to the nations. Life to the blind prisoner, and he heals a man born blind. And then you see more Pharisees. You see him grumbling and complaining and asking his family what the deal was, and then they come to him, and after being provoked effectively, the the blind once blind man said, all I know is once I was blind and now I see. And then he proceeds to effectively rebuke the Pharisees. And he says, it's kind of odd that I was blind, but I could see who Jesus is. And yet you can see, but you can't tell anything about who Jesus is. You're blind. The beauty of Jesus is that as the light of the world, he opens our eyes so we can see. So we can see who he is. We can see who we are We can see the world that is meant to be seen, the way it's meant to be seen. We can share that message with others. But I'm just kind of a simple guy, so I'm going to give you a simple thought. you ever been around malls at night? You know, the malls that come to the light that's outside of your porch, and they just swarm, they swarm the light at night. They're drawn to the light. And yet, have you ever seen during the day a cricket? Unless they're dead or they're sick, you're not going to see many crickets. Because they go to the darkness. And so you could say, two types of people, are you a moth? Are you a cricket as it relates to the light of Christ? Are you crawling in the dark? In your own path, in your own way, and maybe even you take one of those little Match lights, and you're lighting it. Guess what happens after a few seconds? He goes out, and you get another one. Maybe you're pursuing your own light in your own way. Are you a moth who's drawn to the light, or are you moved away from the light like a cricket? The truth is this. The great I am changes who I am. He's the bread of life. He's nourishment. He brings living water for us who thirst. And he's the light of the world. He brings light to our lives. While we have been in darkness. He brings light to our lives. The great I am. Changes who I am. Do you see Jesus? C3. Do you see Jesus for who he really is first? Are you following his illumined path? Or are you pursuing your own path? Are you choosing to live toward the light? And are you sharing that light with others? Let me pray. Father, we are lost without you and without the illumination that you provide in the Son of God. I confess that Before I knew you, I was crawling in the dark, looking for my way, my path, my pursuits. I confess that still. It's often times that I turn away from your path to my own to find myself crawling in the dark. And yet you're gracious and you're merciful. And that light is always on. That we might seek you, and find you, and walk in your light. So Lord, I pray for us as a people. I pray that we would treasure Jesus. I pray that people who were formerly blind, and now we can see. I pray like the blind man, that we would worship Jesus for who he is. Praise pray that we would tell people what we found, the sight that we found. Pray that we would pursue the light even when darkness is heavy. And that we would worship Jesus as the light of the world who brings life to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.